I'd like to start this episode by asking you, the listener, two questions. The first one is, do you think that your own life proves or disproves the maxim, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Or to put that in a more philosophical way, uh, maybe something like, we are shaped by the difficulties we have to struggle with. And that's the first thing I wanted to ask you. The second thing is, out of all the government policies of the countries you've lived in, which one do you think, which government policy do you think had the biggest impact on your life? Could be any policy, any any rule. It's an interesting question. And Lord knows both of these questions and their answers could be extremely relevant to so many episodes in Chinese history or the, the governance of China, to use a a phrase that's also the title of a particular book. Um, and the book we're looking at for this episode, More Than One Child by Shen Yang and translated by Nikki Harmon, that's absolutely about both sort of the idea of what doesn't kill you, makes you who you are, and um, a particular policy that had a huge impact on the entire world of uh, more than one generation of people in, inside the People's Republic of China. And that is, as you may have guessed, the one child policy. So yeah, it should be an interesting, possibly emotional episode depending on what affects you. I know this book had a big emotional effect on me. But before we get to talking with Nikki and Shen Yang, the guests for the episode, on this book we're gonna do the Trucherific News, the translated Chinese fiction news. What's what's going on? What's new in this world? So our first news item, it's about the Pen Translates Awards. Now this is not actually fresh news at all, this is from July the 2nd. So it's I'm a little late bringing this up, but I thought it's worth covering. Um, so they announced on Thursday 8th of July the 11 countries and 11 languages that won the award. So there's 12 awards, but one country's a doubler. And that country is actually China, because there's two Chinese books in this list of 12, but one isn't well, whether or not it's Chinese, we can you could nitpick about that because it's translated from Tibetan and it's by Christopher Peacock. Well, sorry, no, he's the translator. Christopher Peacock is the translator and the author is Tsering Yangqi. I'm maybe mispronouncing that. I don't really know my um, Tibetan pronunciations at all. But that's Tsering, T-S-E-R-I-N-G and Yangqi, that's the part I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing right. That's Y-A-N-G-K-Y-E, and the book is Flowers of Laza. Again, not really sure how one's supposed to say Laza, if it's Laza or Laja, but Laza, yeah. The next one is Cocoon by Zhang Yuaran, and that's translated from Chinese, just Chinese Chinese, to English by Jeremy Tiang, a former guest on the show. So yeah, I, we're very late here. We're literally months late, but congrats to the authors, congrats to the translators and to the publishers. Um, that is Baustier Press for Flowers of Laza, Laza, Laza? I'm going to say Laza, and World Editions for Cocoon. And actually, this is relevant to the book we're going to be talking about in today's episode, More Than One Child, because that was also published by Baustier, or Balastier, as I perhaps should be saying it. But yeah, that, <laughs> whatever. There's our first news item. The second one, now this is um, much further afield from the world of professional publishing. This is um, output yet again from a Dylan Levi King. Yet again, he's found his way into our news items. And it's something he's done for YouTube. I say that like YouTube commissioned him. Something he put on YouTube that's rather interesting. He's done a commentary track for a movie from 1988, a mainland Chinese movie called Obsession. 
and in Chinese that name is Fengkuang de Daijia. Did I get that right? Fengkuang de Daijia obsession. So um, he he sort of lays out what he's going to talk about in his um, commentary. He says. I talk about the movie industry and post-socialist cultural conservatism while watching Obsession, starring Zhang Rong, Li Jing, Wu Yujuan, Yujuan, sorry, and Xia Yuan. And he goes on to talk a little bit more about the plot of the movie. But yeah, that's that's an hour, thirty-one minutes, forty-seven seconds. So if you, I don't know, if you've got a free evening, and you want to learn a bit about eighties China, or at least movies in eighties China, then there you go. There is a free resource for you. Like all news items, it'll be linked to in the show notes. Now, the third news item, it's uh, this is up to date, much more up to date. This is a new book that's been announced uh, coming out through Astra House, who were the publishers of Li Juan's Winter Pasture. And this book that they're bringing out is called Moonlight Rests on My Left Palm. It's by Yu Xiuhua, and it's translated by Fiona Tse Lorraine. And it, yeah, this looks really interesting. This is something you might not expect to get translated into English, to be honest. But I'll just read you the blurb. I like to read blurbs. Here we go. Starting with the viral poem crossing half of China to fuck you, Yu Xiaohua's raw collection in Fiona Tse Lorraine's translation chronicles her life as a disabled, divorced single mother in rural China. So a lot of lot of important words there. I'll keep going. Yu Xiaohua was born with cerebral palsy in the Hengdian village in the Hubei in in the Hubei province. I don't know why they've got the there. Anyway, in Hubei province in central China, unable to attend college, travel, or work the land with her parents, Yu remained home where she could help with housework. Eventually, she was forced into an arranged marriage that became abusive. She divorced her husband and moved back in with her parents, taking her son with her. In defiance of the stigma attached to her disability, her status as a divorced single mother and as a peasant in rural China, Yu found her voice in poetry. Starting in the late 90s, her writing became a vehicle with which to explore and share her reflections on homesickness, family and ancestry, the reality of disability in the context of a body's urges and desires. Ooh, nice sentence. Let's keep going. Then Yu's poem, Crossing Half of China to Fuck You, blew open the doors on the patriarchal and traditionalist world of contemporary Chinese poetry. She became an internet sensation, finding a devoted following among young readers who enthusiastically welcomed her fresh, bold, confessional voice into the literary canon. Thematically organised, Yu's essays and poems are in conversation with each other around subjects that include love, nostalgia, mortality, the natural world, and writing itself. Woohoo. That's just that's just great. Really nicely written blurb, <laughs> and sounds really interesting too. So yeah, go go check that out again. Link to the publisher's page for that is on the show notes. I can see here it says it's going on sale in September fourteenth, so it's already open to pre-order. And I'm not doing this as a paid ad. Um, I really should, but um, no, just just because we're trying to we're trying to promote the translated Chinese fiction out there, and that's how we do it. Okay. Um, fourth news item. This is news about news. Maybe this is bad. Maybe I shouldn't do news about news, but um, fuck it. If we're gonna if we're gonna drop the f bomb in in news stories, then let's do it again. Fuck it. Let's cover uh, this article written in the Publishers Weekly. So that's the U.S. Um, trade magazine, basically for publishers. Um, and sometimes there's interesting things in these. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's literally just for people following the business news in the trade. But here we have something of literary interest. We get to see which authors that 
Publishers Weekly decided to highlight. Um, this is quite a long article. I won't read the whole thing, but let's just have a look at who they've decided to name. So we got Yu Hua. He's, um, he's the guy who wrote To Live. So there's a big name in the sort of literary Chinese fiction, which um, has traveled in translation quite successfully. Yu Hua. Next, Mai Jia. So this is an interesting one because he's a genre fiction writer. He does like spy and coding, decoding, what do you call them? Thrillers. Yeah, thrillers. Um, and more in recent years, his books are getting translated and published in English. So there's Mai Jia. Next, Chen Ran. I've never heard of Chen Ran. Um, she says here she does daring portrayals of female experience in China in short stories, novels, and works of nonfiction. Cool. Okay, moving on. Shu Zhechen. So he is the fellow who uh, wrote Running Through Beijing, which is available in English. He says here he's the author of several novels about the underbelly of contemporary urban life in China's largest cities. Bingo. Sounds really cool. Shun Kai. Now we talked about Shun Kai um, a fair bit in the episode on Beijing Coma because she's got a book out uh, in English translation, I believe, called Death Fugue, which is um, along maybe similar lines to Beijing Coma, but a little bit more um, speculative or, or weird. We like the weird here on Trotific. And she, she also recently followed me <laughs> on, it's either Instagram or Twitter. So um, if you're listening, Shun Kai, hi, ni hao. Okay, next one. This is the last one covered in the article. Liu Zhenyun. I have not heard of Liu Zhenyun. So it says here, he was an award-winning short fiction writer and novelist. He explores the clash between tradition and contemporary Chinese culture. Very nice. Um, so this article is up there to read. Aha, I can see at the bottom, it's sponsored by, how would you pronounce this? Xian Piek, the Chinese National Publications Import-Export Group. So there you go. That's why um, Publishers Weekly published this thing. It's because it's some promo for Chinese authors. So that's that's cool, actually. And it's maybe encouraging that um, the Import-Export Group included or gave the approval stamp on perhaps Shun Kai because Death Fugue, that's, I would imagine that's not getting published in China. That's unpublishable because of what the content it deals with. So it's good that um, soft, you know, ads effectively or soft power or whatever you want to call it, that the Chinese publishing group is using is not blotting out all authors who might be blotted out in the mainland. That's, that's nice. Hopefully that, um, that little window won't be shut out. <laughs> Hopefully no one goes back and edits Shunkai out of that article. I, I would assume that won't, wouldn't happen, but you know, life is full of unpleasant surprises. Right, that's the end of the Trotrific news. So without further delay, let's get on to the interview that I had with author Shenyang and translator, her translator, Nikki Harmon. So on the show, we have Shenyang and Nikki Harmon. So hello to you both. Hello. Hi, Angus. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, another three-way episode. Always fun. So um, I'll ask you both, uh, how's it going? What have you both been up to? And just to keep things simple, Shenyang, uh, you can go first. Yeah. Uh, hi, Angus. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> hi, everyone. Um, for me, promoting the book uh, was definitely the top priority in the past few weeks. It was really a um, challenging new adventure. I had, I had a lot of fun. And uh, in the meantime, I'm cooperating with an artist from Shanghai to illustrate my next book, a children's book. And Nikki, mm. you know her, the artist. I, I, we, we bought the paintings there. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you want to give the artist a shout out on the show? 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it would be a collection of stories and adventures from my childhood, but without any mention of, of the policy. And the focus is to show new generation how we used to live and play as kids uh, in my times through traditional Chinese folk art illustrations. Yeah, and, and her name is Chen Huifang. Right. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so you mentioned there a book and a policy. So we should probably mention that right off the bat. The book for the episode is More Than One Child. Shenyang is the author. Nikki's the translator. And the policy you mentioned is the one child policy. I'm sure if our listeners haven't heard of that, I, I wonder where they've been all their lives. Um, but before we keep going on with the book, uh, Nikki, how is it going at your end? And what have you been up to? Yes. Uh, hi, Angus. Hi, Shenyang. I'm delighted to be here. I've been really busy translating. Um, I translate fiction and nonfiction. So Shenyang's memoir was the last nonfiction book I translated, and I'm currently translating a, a Jia Pinghua novel. And I've been pretty busy. When I'm not doing that, I work on Paper Republic, Uh, if I may give it a shout out, that's paper-republic.org. And that's a registered non-profit promoting Chinese literature in translation. And there's always loads to do. We all work as volunteers and um, there's always lots to do there. Plus, you know, summer schools teaching translation. And the only thing missing from my life is a visit to China because I haven't been able to go to China since pre-COVID, obviously. So very much looking forward to my next visit. Yeah, I can imagine. It's been sort of a relief for me because a little part of me has always wanted to go back, but I've been able to think, at least right now, I can, <laughs> that little worry can, or that little nagging thought can switch off. I guess listeners who've been religiously listening to this show might be thinking, wait, this is deja vu, what's going on? Um, Nikki's a return <laughs> guest to the show. We were last here um, to talk about another Ballastier press book, actually, um, Yanga's The Chili Bean Pace Clan. So it's great to have you back on, Nikki. Yeah. So keeping things moving, let's talk about the the book that we're doing for this episode, Shenyang's More Than One Child. I'd, I'd like to start by talking about the early years or the early phase in the book's development, which is appropriate because the book's a memoir pretty much about childhood so there's an, a really nice sort of, I don't know if you call it an intro, but the opening of, of the book sort of deals with, it's, you could say it's a little bit like in a PhD, a literature review, um, Shen, Shen uh, Yang, you go into a little bit about how there's not a lot of other books on this topic of um, excess children um, and the one-child policy. So just first, let's clear up, what, what do we mean if we say excess children, excess child um, Young, do you want to talk about that? Well, I think during during the strict one-child policy era, couples were limited to have a single child. Any further babies were considered illegal. And those illegals were born without permission and without household registration, were called xiaohehai, heihaizi, uh, excess birth children. And uh, yeah, as of today, in my family household registration, my name is still missing. Right. Yeah. So you're you're one of them. Um, so getting getting to the main question, I was hoping to ask here: Are there other books on this topic? Mm, there is one Caroline Kahn. She wrote under the Red Skies, but uh, it's not 
mainly focused on exasperous children. And uh, she had a very happy childhood to me. And then, yeah, the focus was not on exasperous children. Right. And so with this book, what were you hoping to contribute to the topic? We always say the fact you can't see doesn't mean it does not exist. So by writing about the book, uh, the story of excess children, our invisible generation, I want to record that unique part of history to let other people know how that one single rule affected our lives, the difficulties we faced and how we lived. And I want to let the other excess children know that they are not alone. We We have each other, we are a big family. And hopefully more and more excess birth children will jump out bravely and tell their stories to the world. I think that's a, a, a great thing to do for readers outside China, because although one might think, oh, this is one part of modern China that is maybe in the global consciousness. I certainly knew about the one child policy when I was tiny. Um, I think my parents happened to mention it to me whenever I would say, look, if there's a huge world population problem, um, why don't we? Why doesn't the government do something about it? And they say, well, yeah. there is a part of the world where it's a thing, and it has all sorts of consequences, and it's not as simple as you might think. Uh, can I add to that? Uh, one thing that really struck me when Shenyang and I did uh, the Ballastia Book Club launch event a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's also on on YouTube, the Ballastia Press one. Actually, a couple of people who were listening from China. Uh, popped up and said, this was my experience. This was Mm. the experience of my family, my cousin. And so exactly what Shenyang said, it's brought people out into the open. And some really heartbreaking stories about just how difficult your lives have have been. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Finishing off what I was saying there, I think what what, what I was thinking is that Although there is a maybe outside China, there's a popular understanding of a policy which is just you're not allowed more than one kid. Mm-hmm. There's not a deeper understanding of the nuances and and the effects. And one of those one of those effects and nuances is stories of people like yourselves, Yang. Mm-hmm. It's it's unless you have someone telling you their story, there's no probably no way you could really think through how the effects of the policy would play out in real people's lives. So yeah, yeah it's a really important as well as um interesting book for sure um i wanted to ask you how how it came about what was its origins because this is a a translated book as we mentioned published by ballastier press i've got a physical copy in my hands listeners won't be able to see it but i'm putting it in front of the camera (laughs) there it is oh lucky you i didn't even have one yeah, yeah. It's a lovely package with yeah. colour photos at the back as uh-huh. well. So <laughs> listeners, go go get yourself, pre-order yourselves one. Or if you're listening in the future, go buy one. Um, <laughs> Thank but you. But how, how did we get here? Um, what's, what's, the, what's the story that led up to the publication of the book? Um, does anyone want to answer this one? I guess, Young, you should maybe answer first since you wrote the thing. Uh, well, that's a long, long journey. <laughs> Let's say like this, Monkey King has his journey to the West, while publishing (laughs) this book has been my journey to the West. Uh, 
along the way, there were many difficulties. Even if my book is essentially a story of a little girl's sorrow and adventure, adventures during the one-child policy era, not even one publishing company in China dared to publish it for obvious reasons. So after countless rejections, I decided to change strategy and uh, publish in the West. But the thing is, back then, I didn't know anyone who could help me to translate the story into English. And uh, I didn't have any connections. And to make things worse, <laughs> I wasn't on any social media. Uh, but all these didn't defeat me. I was trained to be a holy MP anyway, the thick skin face brat. <laughs> so, so I did a thorough research and uh, harassed many writers and translators, publishers on the internet, 95% ignored me. Only 5% kindly replied to me, even though none of them could help me in the end. I'm still very grateful for their kind words and encouragement. Like I've mentioned, I'm not a social person. And most of the time, I just stay quietly at home, read uh, and write by myself. But, you know, when good things are supposed to happen, they will happen no matter what. Um, I call it a serendipity. <laughs> so uh, one day out of blue, I accompanied, com- I accompanied my husband to one event related to sustainability in design. And there I met a young woman who, after discovering that, I wrote a story about the excess children. Um, immediately uh, c- connected me with her friend, Rosanne Lake, who back then just had just published her book, Leftover in China. Uh, then one thing led to another. Once we got to know each other, Rosen introduced me to Xinran. Then Xinran connected me with Nikki, and that's where all the magic happened. Amazing. I'm glad Xinran has appeared in the story. That's excellent. <laughs> so, shall I take over from there? That would be great. Yeah. Uh, so, Xinran, I was looking up before we started this podcast, and it was in April last year that mm-hmm. Xinran contacted me and if in case anyone is interested in her books and doesn't know her name it's x-i-n-r-a-n all one word anyway uh she's a lovely woman lives in london she wrote to me and said i'm introducing my good friend who's got a really good book take it away so shen yang and i talked to each other on email and long story short i translated a sample for her I really liked the book. I really liked the style. I thought it was very lively and very accessible and very vivid. So in the end, I translated the whole book and Shenyang and I discussed how we were going to find a publisher or an agent. And in the end, the publisher came first, so she didn't need an agent. Uh, And it was Ballester Press. Uh, who are very small publisher, but have a very good reputation of publishing excellent books translated from Chinese. And here we are now all doing our best to promote it. Um, and it's about to come out. Yeah. And what you said there about the book being lively, readable, um, engaging and, and so on. I totally agree. I think so. Like on, on one hand, it's great that uh, Young, you you um, chose to write on you know, your own life framed through this mm. really important angle. But um, it would have been a tragedy if it was, no, you know, not readable. But you're, you're a great writer. So it's a great book on those two fronts. Thank you. And I got a great translator. Right. That helps too. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. yeah. 
I'm just going to take off my jumper, which is going to involve taking off my headphones. Bear with me here. Okay. <laughs> totally overheating. <laughs> oh, it's too hot. Yeah, I think I might as well take off my jacket too. <laughs> I've done I've done the decorative bit. I'll take it off now. <laughs> you cute so my nice jacket. <laughs> I'm upstairs uh, in my, my new house and I think we have water yeah. pipes here that don't have very good insulation. So they uh-huh. sort of work as free heating upstairs. Oh it's just wow. Hot here. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's not great. Okay, so we've, we've talked a bit about the past of the book. When it comes to talking about the contents of the book, I think we're going to be talking about the past a lot too. Something listeners maybe don't know is for every one of these interviews, I write a sheet of questions which have headings. So the headings are invisible just because I never talk about them on the show doesn't mean that they haven't always been there. And the heading for this section, rather than calling it questions about the contents of the book, I've called it family, memory, history. And first Mm -hmm. section, history. Here's my question. So Mm -hmm. it's very easy to find English language or translated to English books about hard times, difficult stuff in China, maybe often topics Mm -hmm. that, like you said, um, Yang, you are just not going to find a publisher in China because they're on topics that are uh, taboo. Um, But to me, this didn't really feel like the, uh, it didn't feel like it fit in that category um, because there was a lot about human lives, one person's childhood, rather than, you know, zoomed out big historical or even political questions. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Yang, did when you when you were writing the book, did you have either angle in mind, either I must um, I must cover this weighty topic as best I can, or were you completely the other the other side of the, the spectrum, thinking I must give a really um, true portrait of my childhood or was it a fusion of the two or were you thinking about something quite different and also once you've answered maybe I could ask you Nikki what were your um, thoughts going into the book and were they different coming out the other end Uh, okay yes exactly Uh, like you said it's very easy to find English language or translated books about hard times in China but for me the intention was never to depict the hard times for the sake of the hard times. Um, Mm. I think history is not just made by big events and the famous characters, but also by ordinary people. It's a collection of all people's experiences and uh, feelings. And I believe everyone's story is unique and uh, everyone can be an author and uh, contribute to record the history with their own experience. Actually, when Vincent Nee from The Guardian interviewed me, we had a small discussion about this. He said Mm. that people actually are far more interested in reading about Chinese day-to-day life under the one-child policy period rather than diving into political history or policy analysis. And I totally agree with him Um, because in China, it's almost like for each generation, there is one policy and these policies can forever change one's life. It's like a circle, all connected. Because of the policy, I had a turbulent childhood. And because of my turbulent childhood, I could write about it. And by writing about it, I contributed in my own way to record that part of history. I guess uh, small fry matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the big picture is just made up of all the small parts put together, I guess. Yeah, but sometimes yeah, yeah. there's a, a stamp of the bigger picture 
built into the, the small part. It can be very interesting how these things interact. I have a follow-up question, actually, before we go to you, Nikki. I want to ask, what's the time window of the book? Because I know it's sort of the 80s into the 90s. Um, do you have off the top of your head the exact years that the story covers? Uh, what do you mean? Well, the story, like, when, when were the story happened, right? Um, well, it, it finishes when you're roughly maybe 18. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And what, so what year were you born? In 1986, January the 1st. Okay, so do some maths here. Um, <laughs> so do we, we finish in... Um, 2006, around 2006. Yeah, I went to university at 2006, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting time uh, in mm-hmm. modern China. And I mentioned the, the photos at the end of the book um, mm-hmm. earlier. You can sort of... It, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe this is just me floating mm-hmm. my own ideas, but that was a time of huge amounts of change in China um, beyond just the one-child policy. Yeah. And that period in the 80s and 90s, you can sort of see um, the afterglow of the older period in China, like the 70s, the Cultural Revolution, and maybe even earlier. And that mm-hmm. those historical after effects are totally in the book, affecting some characters. We, we might talk more about that later. But you can also sort of see the trajectory, like how things are going. And it's something, as a reader, I found interesting beyond just looking at the the characters, the way the characters interact with the background setting was um, mm. interesting for me because I never grew up in that period, obviously. Um, and when the China I lived in was the China that, that came later. In the two, the later in the twenty first century, so I I don't really have a, a question there, but I just thought that uh-huh. was an interesting thing about the book that wouldn't have come out if we were only talking about the um, the big picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the really interesting things is that um, for the adults, when you were a kid, for the adults, the Cultural Revolution was very fresh in their memory, and mm. and there is an anecdote where you're sitting outside listening to the grown-ups, the quite old grown-ups who are talking about what life was like during the Cultural Revolution. And, and it's fascinating to see these little glimpses, uh, which are very personal, but they're, they're very vivid recent history. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, I, could, I could keep talking about that, but I should ask you, Nikki, um, what were your... Th- um, thoughts or expectations before you opened up the book and how much had they been confirmed or surprised uh, by the time you'd put the book down at the end? Uh, right, well, so I opened the file um, and I was a blank sheet as far as my impressions went. I had no preconceptions. I had no idea. And I read the first bit, which, as you say, sets the memoir in a historical context. And then immediately I was plunged into this world of a baby, a small child, um, a bigger child, a teenager, growing up and being abandoned, being taken on again, being treated quite badly, but ultimately coming out at the other end as a very rounded, mature and and um, forgiving young grown-up and I think that was um, that was what really impressed me 
uh, I mean, memoirs, the good thing about memoirs is that they show you history through people's, a person, a single person and their families' uh, lives. And that's what I loved, all the details. That was what it was like being in the countryside, being in a small town at that time. But also that was what it was like having parents who were very physically distant and in the end quite emotionally distant as well. And then uh, uncle and aunt who'd adopted you and for their own reasons treated you quite badly. Yeah. So there was an emotional picture as well as just uh, a picture of what it was like in the countryside. And I think that emotional picture is, is what we all need if we're reading about China. This is what it means to be a young Chinese woman. I'd echo what you're saying about what a, a Western reader sort of needs if they want to understand the country through a book. Um, the the component that this book has is the rural or the small town settings. Not everything is happening in Shanghai or Beijing or even somewhere like, uh, I don't know, a second tier city. A lot of the book is happening in the countryside, but it's not, um, it's not an epic tale of the history of the countryside. It's about life there, about real people captured really vividly. So that was something I enjoyed, which I'd only seen in like maybe one other piece of nonfiction, but that was, it was a totally different uh, story. So mm. yeah, I really liked that side of things too. One of the anecdotes that I found most touching uh, and most vivid was when this small boy who is your friend drowns, because there is a lot of water oh. around there and it is, mm. yeah. uh, I'm sure that I've read in other books as well, drownings mm. do happen. Um, oh. And uh, Anyway, so he's the single son of the family and the, mm. single, the single child of the family, uh, after which his mother goes almost crazed with grief and is then abandoned by her husband and thrown out of the house. And a very kind neighbour allows her to live in a straw stack. That is a haystack, which is made of straw. And that is where she makes her home. And she may have matted hair and behave in a way which is quite crazy, but you still see her. You see her on your way to school, on your way home. Yeah. And it's, it, it's really deeply moving. Thank you. Uh, actually, that's uh, um, the story of her what happened to her later on is a tragedy. Uh, it's like Yuha's Huazhe in real life. I'll share, do you want me, uh, me share with you guys right now or later as a side thing? Oh no, you could go for it if you're happy with it going on to the podcast. Okay, if I'm not spoiling it. <laughs> um, actually, she later on, she got married with another man who is, uh, you know, the one who's uh, uh, cycles on the tricycle and yeah. carries goods for others, a very poor man. And uh, she delivered another baby boy. But sometimes she has mental problems, sometimes she doesn't. One time she even uh, snatched a hundred RMB from my aunt when she was trying to buy stuff from the market. And my aunt didn't uh, get it back for her from her because she thought, you know, this poor woman, poor life, let her just have this 100 money, uh, 100 RMB to buy whatever she needs. And then, you know, the occasionally the husband abused her also, 
this woman is really, I mean, her life is, I don't know, full of uh, tragedy. Um, and, and then the boy grew up around 16 years old. Uh, and then she had this breast cancer. And two years later, she died. And the boy cried, cried like, like, I mean, like really, really touching the scene. My aunt saw the whole scene. She described to me, it was really touching. She even cried because the boy was like devastated. The mom who loved her, loved her, him, you know, passed away and she had a um, really horrible life. And then one year later, the boy was also murdered in Guangzhou. And then the man... Yeah, the man sold the house and left uh, our village. So my, when my aunt told me the following story, I was like, oh, my God, is this, the, this is like Yuhua's Huajia in, in, in daily life. It's just so near you. And I don't know, whenever I thought about Wang Jixia, I, I just feel so sad for her. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. That's uh, translated as to live, Yuhua's yeah. book. Right. Yeah. To live, right. yeah, was really touching. There, there was a thing, Nikki, you mentioned about how uh, yourself, young, the narrator, you know, starts off as a, a troubled kid, but we see, um, we see your personality developing into a very sort of mature, reflective, articulate person. And on one hand, I guess in any memoir, you kind of expect that because this person grew up is going to have is going to grow up to be good enough at articulating themselves to write a good mem- a good enough memoir to get published. So I, I feel in a lot of memoirs I've read that sort of happens. You realize you're dealing with someone who's probably very smart and a fairly clear thinker, but is also driven to express themselves. And I totally, totally felt that reading the book, that um, through all the, the ups and the downs, um, we, we had a, a kid who was pretty reflective and I, I guess we've only got a few minutes before we have to jump into the next zoom meeting um did did this do you think the things that you went through helped you become the writer that you are or would that, it, would you definitely think you, right I didn't need to uh, I mean writing about more than one child I, re- I really didn't need to dig deep into my my mind all the memories good or bad uh happen or sad they just chose to stay in my brain by themselves and I happen to be born into a family where almost everyone has a very good memory especially my grandma Nana or the Lao Lao um, in the book I already mentioned that when I went back to Jining uh, the very first time in order to win back my affection Nana kept bombing me with my childhood stories which really annoyed me back then because I was too young too naive to understand her love and then in high school when I was already officially back home whenever nana missed my youngest sister star and me she would uh, wake up at four in the morning hop onto her tiny cute tricycle and uh, cycled for over three hours all the way from the village sunja to jining Uh, then in the evening she would snuggle together with me and star on the big bed like the good old times, just I don't hug her tiny feet anymore. <laughs> and that's when bedtime childhood story happens. She would go on and on without stopping. I was like, hey, uh, Lao Lao, Nana, time to sleep. But she was so into her own beautiful memory that she totally ignored me. Then my sister would say, 
I just go to sleep with the son of Nana. Uh, so you see, somehow Nana helped me a lot to strengthen my own memory about my childhood, even when I'm, I was sleeping. <laughs> and, and then as I grown up, whenever I went to visit Nana and granddad in Sunjia village, all the relatives, I mean, and the villagers, some of the villagers, they would you know, tell me stories of me as a child and how uh, naughty I used to be. Uh, and somehow they also helped me to enrich the story. I mean, polish the story with uh, more details. So these, all these things strengthened my memory. And so I just need to sit down and write everything down. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so I have a follow-up question for you from that last one, Yang. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't need to do too much digging into your own memories. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of sort of oral help from all these people from, from your past mm-hmm. telling you the stories. I wanted to ask if you had help from any other um, media as well as just people telling you um, in person because we mentioned before there's pictures at the back of the book. So I was wondering if any digging up any old photos or other records, like anything in writing was part of your process of putting the book together. The photos sure helped a lot because, you know, I, I cannot, I'm not a computer. I cannot remember everything. Um, but um, I think, I think some people, I don't know, some people are just, born to have a very good memory and some people just choose now to remember some stuff but mm. I wish I were this kind of people who don't remember who who cannot remember the past or anything happened or cannot be affected by this kind of uh, small things happening in the, in the past but I don't know I just happen to remember everything so and um, it's really difficult. It's good when it comes to writing, but in daily life, it's really hard because sometimes this can be very, it, it can affect your life because, you know, especially something bad like the childhood trauma. Yeah, I, it makes a lot of sense to me that your, your memories of this period are so good. I had mm-hmm. a, not really comparable at all, but I had a period in my childhood that was mm-hmm. Mm, what can I say more difficult than other parts of my childhood where my my parents divorced and there was a period where things were a little bit uh, a lot of a lot of um, confusing things happened um, before everything sort of normalized into something new uh, that was day-to-day normal and happy for for a kid and I guess for my parents too and I have very clear memories of all the different sort of episodes in that um, period but I got a big surprise, I think several years ago now, I mentioned to my mother, my, my mother, my mom, um, <laughs> you know, those were some crazy years. Um, how long was that exactly? And she's like, years, what are you talking about? That was like one year, one year total. Wow. And I found that because I had so many memories crammed in there in so much detail, that maybe they'd, in my mind, that felt like much longer than it really was. So um are your, do you feel that your really good memory covers your whole life or do you think your, your memory is especially good here when you were going through this sort of rough uh, or difficult time? You know, I read something uh, from one article the other day. It says you need to have a, a tragic 
dramatic, I mean, hard childhood to be a writer because these things really impress you. It's like carved on your brain. You cannot, you know, it's not easy to get rid of. So like, let's say most of the writers, um, uh, George Orwell, yeah, he also had a very hard childhood also. So I guess, you know, this also helped to, I don't know, I think this also contribute to the fact that I'm going to write about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing, isn't it? The, the childhood mm-hmm. of authors. I'm reading a book by Stephen King right now, who, you know, is famous for writing lots of horrifying, disturbing stories, a lot of which involve children or adults who are um, being revisited by stuff from their childhood. And yet whenever he's asked, he said he had a pretty normal childhood. Um, (laughs) But then that makes us wonder, do we believe him? Um, But that's a little bit beside the point. So I'll just go into the next question. Unless, Nikki, you want to say anything here about this point about memory? Um, not so much about memory. I mean, about the emotional impact of those memories, I think. Uh, I, I think one, one of the things that struck me very much at the end of the book was that your uncle, who, after all, has... Your uncle and aunt have been pretty rough and abusive characters and and your and, and both of them in the end you come to an understanding about how they ended up like that but your uncle also writes you a most moving letter in which he says that we I know we didn't treat you right but believe me we're now so proud of you and it's much longer than that and and it's utterly convincing and I thought that was one of the most beautiful bits of the book yeah I cried a lot when I read that because it's like, wow, finally. I waited this for like almost 20, more than 20 years. And yeah. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, the end of the book is amazing. Thank you. I think, um, Nikki, since we, me and Angus, we all had this uh, hard childhood and we remember a lot of stuff. What about you? What about your childhood? Do you, I think you have a happy childhood. Do you remember stuff uh, from your childhood? I, I have a terrible memory. Mm. <laughs> okay. okay. I, sh- I should say outside of that difficult window, my childhood was pretty good. Um, mm. Not perfect, but who's, who's is? I had, I had tough times as a teenager, but those were mostly self-inflicted. That's probably pretty mm. common among teenage boys. <laughs> yeah no one had a perfect childhood yeah no one had a perfect childhood anyway yeah. <laughs> there's always something yeah I've got another yeah. question about memory this one's a little bit more um philosophical I suppose and I guess either of you could answer um so I, we talked there about memories just without thinking about what is a memory and I think memories in a way can be multimedia just like books pictures are multimedia because you can visually try and remember a scene or you could try and recall the emotions and like what what medium what what an emotion is even made of like who knows um no one really knows that so i i like i guess this would apply to the author and the translator and maybe there's not really a good way to give it a concrete answer but um what did you have to do to sort of faithfully or power powerfully recreate either like the 
feelings, the, the visual settings or the emotional feelings or the memories of people recreating people, how they were in the past, only using words. Was that a big challenge, either Young for yourself or Nikki, um, translating it into another language, but keeping those memories in word form? Hmm. Shall, I, shall I say a bit about the translation here? Because yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, I suppose if I think back at the book, one of the strongest memories, and of course it's a pseudo memory for me because I was never there, is the food. And this, mm. this, this wonderful food, <laughs> which is um, a, a, a date cake. And this was, but yeah, uh, I was trying to find it on a bit of paper. Oh, a bit of paper is under here. Yes, yeah, the huagal, the, the, the flower cake, which of course is a complete misnomer for, for an English reader because it's nothing to do with flowers. And a cake to us is something you put in an oven. And actually, this particular kind of date cake um, is the dough is steamed and hmm. it's got red dates inside, but they're not the desert dates that we're familiar with. They're a completely different kind of date. They probably should have a completely different name in English. So, so date is misleading. Cake is misleading. But OK, <laughs> bear with me. So uh, I got lots of nice pictures. And I looked at them, I thought, oh, I really oh. want to eat these foie and, and it was so much part of your childhood. So there was, there was words, there were other words as well, which um, really kind of made big, vivid memories for me. And they were the names that you called to each other, like um, your aunt and uncle. Um, called you by a whole lot of really abusive, <laughs> horrible names, of which the most common was Sunizu, <laughs> which I thought, well, how on earth am I going to translate that? And um, because I'm translating into British English, I don't have to worry about American English. So we went for brat, because brat is very British. And then the su was damn, damn brat. So you were, you were, as you said, your aunt called you damn brat so often, so loudly that the whole village actually thought that your, <laughs> your real name was damn brat. <laughs> yeah. Young, young. Um, so damn brat recurs on just about every page because she's always yeah. yelling at you. <laughs> but then you, you also had quite fun calling her by a nickname or her voice anyway, because she was your dagu, she was your father's elder sister. Mm. And she had a voice that was so loud that everyone all around the village could hear her voice whenever she yelled for her, her uh, for you. And her surname was a shin, like yours. So, mm. so um, her voice then is the shin bellow, because she's bellowing around the village. <laughs> So she's got the Shen Bello. I hate to think, does she actually know she's been called the Shen Bello <laughs> in English? That no. slightly worries me. <laughs> so um, so nick nicknames and food, they all create memories. Mm, yeah, mm. there that's we had taste and we had sound. And <laughs> you're so true. Um Nikki, I, I've noticed before in stories of yours I've read that the translations of foods names is um always seems quite thoughtful and yet also seem seamless reading and the, like i know it's good because it's stuck uh, stuck in my memory yeah the date cakes and the street food that 
uh, young you'd eat going to and from or would want to eat sometimes watching other kids eating going to and from school I remember yeah. there was um, meat buns I guess mm. some kind of baozi would be my guess mm. it's just a meat bun in English in the book and there's hot and sour soup so maybe like suen la tang or something yeah hu la tang, hu la tang. Okay. it's very famous in Henan province right can you yeah. what what's in there Ooh, it's a shitload of stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it would be pepper. Pepper mm. is it got uh, hujiao? Yeah. Hujiao, huajiao, yeah. hujiao, mm. hujiao. Yeah. Right. Uh, beef. Uh, I think uh, there's a description of this in the book. Oh, yeah. And then Nikki translated that. that yeah. Mm. It ha- uh, the, the key ingredient is the herbal stuff. There are herbal stuff in there. Yeah, it, it, that's mm. what made it so special. And there's mm. also one article writing about this hula tongue. And every time I went back to Nanyang, the first thing you get out of the train station is to directly go there. One time, there's only I, I took a I took a tricycle, in, uh, electronic tricycle instead of a taxi. And I told the guy, hey, let's go to number 12 middle school. There is this hula tongue place. Uh, I treat you. Let's uh, have breakfast together. So he drived me there. He stopped there. And I treated him for hula tongue and the bean. And then he, and then after we ate, had breakfast together, and then he drove me back to Dagu's home. <laughs> so it's really <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about taste um, <laughs> as a way to get to memories. This reminds yeah. me of something I saw as a kid on TV. Um, there was the BBC, British Broadcasting Company, did this really good series or a couple of series maybe on like human instincts with this professor. I think his name was Robert Winston. I'm going to Google that right now. Yeah, he's um, he looks exactly like you'd think of like a scientist would, he's got a mustache, often wears a bow tie and glasses. So he was a presenter on these uh, shows about human instincts. And there was one on memories and they would do, they had a group of people of various ages who they would do sort of experiments on to show you the unexpected and interesting ways memory can work. And one amazing thing he did was he said, um, scientists have learned that taste and our senses strongly are a strong way of triggering deep memories that we don't normally have access to. Um, And the way they showed this, they got some of the older participants on the show. So this was my childhood. So like the 2000s, and they got some people who would have been kids during World War II in Britain. So although there were no ground battles in Britain at that time, there were air battles. It's a dangerous place. So kids were uh, often moved to different homes or living in very scary circumstances and there was food rationing. So if they weren't rich, I suppose, they might be on quite simple foods. So what they did for the experiment was they got the exact same porridge oats that were either commonly eaten or were part of the rations. So the, the porridge that like all the working class and maybe middle class kids too would be eating. And they knew that at least one guy in their group had grown up eating this stuff. So they put him in a room with like no pictures, no sound no other influences, just gave him a bowl of the porridge, didn't tell him what it was or anything. And I think they had a camera so you, the viewer, could see if he reacted. And sure enough, he starts to eat the porridge and you can see he's struggling with some thought and then he starts to sort of quietly cry because it's triggering those deep memories. Um, And this, I am going somewhere with this. I'm going to get back to the book. 
Uh, talking. Wait. Uh, yeah, can yeah. I say go, one on, last go on. Go on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Talking about this, uh, you you should. What have you guys ever watched Li An's uh movie Xi Yan? Xi Yan. It's very famous and it's one of his best, better than Life of Pi, whatever that. Xi uh, Yan is his masterpiece. Yeah. I think it's called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Is that? Is it or? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Xi uh, mm. Yan. Uh oh, 饮食男女 That's yeah, that's eat, drink, man, woman. Eat, oh drink, yeah, 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 yeah. You you watch that? Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Loved it. Nineteen ninety four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of food there, and it's related to what you were talking about. You should watch watch that definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks for the recommendation. Um, the, the so I was going about it in a very roundabout way, but I was hoping to say. Like really deep emotions and, and triggers、mm. in the book about related to going into the past. So I just basically I wanted to read a segment of the book that was maybe my favorite segment. That it, it attacked me from two angles. One was it's near the end of the book and it draws an amazing sort of it's an amazing bow tying together all the emotional、um, the emotional journey that you yourself the narrator、uh, has has gone through, but. It's、um, you're making sort of general statements about what it's like going back to your childhood. That anyone who had a childhood, never mind a bad or tricky childhood, is it's going to speak to them. So I'll I'll stop talking about it and start reading it.、Mm. Here we go. I had not realized until that point, nor did I want to admit, how important a role my childhood still played in my adult life. I stubbornly persisted in believing that I was who I was because that was what I wanted to be. I was such a prickly hedgehog that I was hurting other people and myself. I could not see who I was until I pulled out each spine one by one. And this is the sentence I really like here. It is a long and painful process to see oneself clearly, as is the process of returning to one's childhood.、Um, yeah, that's just brilliant. I. Th- I know there's、um, a comic, a common anecdote from、uh, the beginnings of Western philosophy, Greek philosopher and philosophy, and it's the words written above. What is it? The shrine of the Oracle of Delphi, this important figure, and the words are "Know thyself," and those are, from that point of view, the most important thing you can ever be told that you should know yourself. And yeah, it's probably impossible to do that unless you. Go back to your past in some way and face it, and it, yeah, it spoke to me so much. It had had a, it was like the guy eating the porridge. I was getting flashbacks and feeling very strongly affected. So, yeah, I'm kudos to both of you for putting <laughs> putting that translated text together. Thank you. That was really beautifully translated, and it, it's really touching.、Oh, it's because the original was beautiful and touching. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> and yeah, and. and Um, it triggered triggered Angus's memory. I think it's because、um, you had that, you know, when your parents divorced, and you, you also have this self discovery about yourself, you know. So I think you know it's a. And also, you mentioned you had a、um, troubled teenage life. So yeah, I think this I think self not not、yeah? worse than maybe not worse than <laughs> any other, other teenager, but、uh-huh. I guess that doesn't mean it's not difficult. Yeah, yeah. The the process of self discovering is really difficult. Or many times I was crying by myself in the room, <laughs> and sometimes even you know in front of my husband. And but you know, but but luckily I managed to go through that 
um, that's how how you say that ter- tunnel. Yeah, a tunnel is a, is a good way good way to look at it. Yeah, even if it's a, tu- a tunnel towards your future self or a tunnel back into your past, but the fact it's it's underground, you have to go things go through things beneath the surface of your skin um, internally. Yeah. And then come out the other end back into reality. I think that's very true. Mm. I was probably just going to go on to talk more about the translation, but would either of you like to say more about the emotional side of the book, like um, bits that have really affected you very strongly? Maybe Nikki, as someone who was a, a reader of the book and not just a writer, did any parts really hit you? Mm. Yeah, I, I think y- you can go back to the bit I said about the uncle, the reconciliation. Uh, Mm. reconciling with her uncle because I thought that was that actually is has such a big impact I mean we're all familiar with the term misery memoir and there are plenty of misery memoirs about China but one which can come up at the end with a kind of positive ending just like in the excerpt that you the you just read um is very empowering and so um, it, it was uh, your uncle's letter to you at the end, which seemed to kind of sum up the, the kind of reconciliation that you'd come to, at least with him. Yeah. That moved me a lot too. Should I talk about uh, you know, the one affected, I found most affecting? To- totally, yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, I think uh, there are two parts I find most affecting. One, it's... Um, uh, about my friend Yang Guang, the conversation we had in the classroom. It was, I still, uh, you know, in, in a family where verbal abuse were, was the norm, the conversation with my childhood friend Yang Guang in the classroom is definitely one of the most affecting parts for me. And what he said was really um, touching and warm back then. In fact, um, even until today, I can still vividly remember that every detail of that lovely afternoon it was really touching because someone who noticed your emotion and came over to talk to you to comfort you and another most affecting part is when nana was trying all the means to win back my affection uh, uh, many years after she left my aunt to take me away i was full of resentment and too young to understand the whole situation well and i was dodging her all the time as you can read in the book and actually when i was writing that part i couldn't help myself crying because by re- relieving those memories, uh, traveling back to times, I realized that, you know, back then she must have felt heartbroken. You know, the, 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 the kid you raised dodging you doesn't want to talk to you or so I found that that, that is very affecting. Yeah. I think it's, I, I found, so I mentioned that little rough patch in my childhood. As a teenager, I revisited that many, many times, maybe too many times, and also as a young adult, but often just revisiting it through my own eyes. And now as someone who's trying to be like a real adult, adult, get a job, get a house and so on, um, there are practicalities that are making it much more easy, uh, making it me much more able to see things through the eyes of my parents or other people who have some kind of, in quotes, uh, part in that story. And it totally changes how I see the events because, um, yeah, they've got their own. It's, it's a dramatic story, not just for myself and my sibling, but for, for everyone involved. And yeah, it's it's yeah. It, it's one thing. We're all trained to see things from other people's point of view in the present. That's easy enough, but it's another thing doing it back in time. It's um mm. 
yeah, it certainly wasn't something I did when I was younger. Um, but I, I want to keep us moving here um, mm. to talk about the translation a little bit more. So we we went through a few interesting words already. Uh, Nikki Nikki mentioned some some of them. I know you've got some more. I'd love to hear about those. And also, I'd be interested to know if you had to the two of you had to collaborate much on figuring out any tricky points because. The last time Nikki was on the show, we were talking about, I think, basically figuring out all the such uh, the swearing, be it in Mandarin or Sichuanese, from a uh, woman cha, um, chili bean paste clan by Yanga. So I was just wondering if there's a similar story uh, this time in a translator author collaboration, or if it was a little different this time around for you, for yourself, Nikki. Uh, I think it was. Quite similar, uh, and I, I felt I was really lucky to have uh, Shenyang uh, give me a really close read-through because there were a few bits of dialect, and it was quite important to me to, to, to know that I'd done it right and also to have your confirmation that I'd got the right tone. After all, I'd given you a completely <laughs> different voice, and giving someone a, a voice is quite difficult, and usually... Usually it's not a memoir. Usually I'm translating fiction. But here it was. It was your voice in Chinese. And I've suddenly reinvented you in English. So I was very pleased that you were able to confirm that it was okay as far as uh, as far as you were concerned. And um, you reassured me. I mean, there was another really interesting challenge is that with, and this is, the what you could call the sociological or the political vocabulary. Shenyang is describing a situation for which we have no direct parallels in Britain, America, Mm. Western Europe on the whole. So you've got a whole new social situation. And so there's a whole new terminology for it, which means that when you're translating these special words which describe special people in a particular situation, there is no obvious translation. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the cultural differences and the linguistic differences. So there's a kind of like a, a whole new mini dictionary of half, an, half a dozen uh, phrases which... Um, I had to invent and then try out on Shenyang and discuss with her. So, for example, the most thorny, the most difficult one was the the little black children, the xiao hei hai, uh, which, of course, are not black. They may be little, but they're certainly not black in the sense that we understand a black child. But they they are black in the sense that they are illegal, in the sense that a hei an illegal taxi, is also called a a black cab, which of course is completely different from our kind of black cab. So we went round and round in circles. I said, we cannot do small black child. We can't even do black child. We cannot use the words black at all because it just gives completely the wrong impression. So in the end, we ended up, I think this was the uh, publishers uh, (laughs) came up with the idea that we should write it out in pinyin. So uh, H-E-I-H-A-I-Z-I. So Mm. we used Heiheizer in the text and we translated that as either um, illegal, illegal kids or illegals um, or excess birth children. And then, of course, there is another completely different term in Chinese for excess birth children. So chao shengr. Um, literally excess, chao 
showing birth are children. So we, we used uh, uh, like basically three terms, hey, Heidze, uh, illegals, excess birth children. Um, the opposite of which is the the only children. So I spelt that as uh, only hyphen children. So I'm kind of inventing uh, a mini vocabulary, especially for this book and for this situation, which, which is so interesting. Only one term um, I reused from another book, uh, and that was the excess birth gorillas, because in a book I translated for Sinran about, uh, what was it called? China Whitney? Uh, no, it wasn't China Witness. Uh, it was Mother. I have to think of this. Hang on. Going to play the old Google uh, here. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Messes from an, messages from an unknown Chinese mother. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, I, I translated for Xinran messages from an unknown Chinese mother. Oh, sorry, I should correct that. It's just message, message singular. Yeah. I translated for Xinran message for, from an unknown Chinese mother. And in it, there are the excess birth gorillas who are the families uh, or couples who simply up sticks and run from the authorities from one place to another, possibly even in some cases abandoning their baby girls on the way. So, that I mean, it, it's that's an oversimplification, but the excess birth gorillas, the Chaosheng Yoji Dui, and gorilla as in guerrilla warfare, not as in gorilla the monkey, was a term that I used then and I reused it in this book. But other than that, I had to completely invent these terms. And it was very good to have both the publisher and Shenyang to discuss with me how we were going to call these kids. That's reminded me of two things. There was an episode quite moderately far back I did with um, Dylan Levi King on a totally different story, a horror story, The Flock of Ba Hui, uh, which was by a Chinese author, but written in the style of H.P. Lovecraft, who was an author who had this network of other authors who sort of imitated him and used the vocabulary and the uh, to use a comic book term what do they call it shared you know what do they call that shared uh, anyway a sort of a shared universe where everything interacts and i was speculating with dylan uh, if if you were to um translate it then it would make sense for translators going into whatever language to have a shared translation dictionary as well for at least terms and then it occurred to me in a couple of your translations nikki i'd noticed um a, a reoccurrence of uh an idea i think it was in um happy dreams and somewhere else you mentioned scout patrol s-c-o-u-t -S oh, yes. and yeah. i was like wait a minute so is there a shared nikki Harmon universe <laughs> because it was two different authors two very different stories yeah. but the um i forget the, the chinese original term uh, what I've, is it? I've forgotten it too, but it's the... It's the, like um, the sort of traffic warden-esque figures yes, who police right. the food stalls. They've got rather more um, wide, wider powers and they can be quite oppressive. Yeah, you're right. But it's not just for me. I like to work with other translators. Mm. And if I do, I, I really like it when we can get together and agree on, on our language. And Dylan, in fact, Dylan King, he and I have worked on Jiaping novels um, separately and together. 
And so we've always tried to use the same terms where they recur, because Jiaopinghua often sets his novels in a village, which he gives the same name to. Qingfeng Tun, the Fresh Wind Village. So uh, we called it Fresh Wind Village, both in Happy Dreams and in another forthcoming novel, uh, which is coming out um, in a year or so. So yeah, you're right. There's there should be a shared language. It's the most. It's a really interesting thing, and it's a lovely thing for translators to work on together if they're getting the same terms coming up again and again. Yeah. That's so nice.、Uh, I, can I say something about Nikki's translation? Go for it. Yeah, I, I love Nikki's translation. It's really authentic, and it really uh, uh, 把我的声音说呃传递了出来 Yeah, she made me she made me British, and I'm proud to be a British brat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm. Yeah, I'm proud that I'm a British brat right now. <laughs> and, I really wanted、uh, to get your voice.、Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, you really so did a good、cool. job. Yeah, and and there's one funny thing about her translation of you know the when I wrote in Chinese about Liu Yangguang, my friend's、uh, haircut is、uh, we call it in Chinese 西瓜头 the hairstyle.、Mm-hmm. So when when Nikki were translating, she just、uh, you know at first she, she you know she doesn't know what is 西瓜头 So when she asked me, we had a conversation, and then she know ah、oh, we we call that pudding basin haircut. <laughs> so it's really interesting. That's one、um, Chinese vocabulary that's very well preserved in my memory. Shiguato, that's watermelon <laughs> head, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It's really cute when you cut the shigua in half,、yes. and and you have this fringe, so it looks like、yeah. a shiguato. But in in, yeah. in in yeah, you call it pudding basin. That's really nice. That, so in China, it's watermelon. In England, it's pudding. <laughs> Yeah, pudding basin. This is so、yeah. interesting because it refers back to childhood memories of food. When I was a kid, we never had shigua. We didn't have watermelons. Oh, but but we did have puddings, and they were、oh. steamed in basins. <laughs> so、uh, a pudding basin. My daughter always accused me of cutting her hair in a pudding basin haircut when she was a little girl. We weren't eating the puddings, but she still reckoned I was using the metaphorical basin to put on her head. Not metaphorical watermelon. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had a pudding basin haircut, Angus? <laughs> well, I'm, I was going to say、um, this. I, the、uh, term I use for this one is different again,、oh. not not as different, but I would call it a bowl cut. And I think American,、oh, I don't, I don't know if I think American listeners don't use pudding in quite the same way. So I think in the states it would be a bowl cut as well.、Uh, Although the bowl is, of course, the pudding basin. They're they're the same thing, so they're much more connected than the the Mandarin name. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, <laughs> and、uh, the last thing I love the most is Nikki translated. It's the 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 song the, about the grass, my childhood song. The not as fragrant as flowers, not as tall as trees. I'm a weed that nobody knows. I'm not lonely. I'm not worried. I have friends all over the world. Spring breeze, oh spring breeze, blow me green, and sunshine, oh sunshine, shine me bright. Rivers and mountains. Nurture me, Earth and Mother, hug me tight. It's so beautiful. I just love it. Oh, but it was beautiful in the Chinese. <laughs> no, you translated so well. Spring breeze, oh spring breeze. <laughs> really nice. Oh, thank you. All right. So we've 
more or less comes to the end of my questions on the book itself. Before we go on to the miscellaneous section, is there anything else either of you want to say about the like the the book, the story? Mm, about uh, the gorilla thing, the Chaosheng Yuji Dui, Mickey mentioned. Mm. Yeah, mm. I would like to. Do you guys know there is a Xiaoping? Xiaoping, I don't know. Uh, you know, in during the Zhongyang Dianshi Tai the Wanhui. Uh, the parties mm. in the, on the TV, they have this uh, Xiaoping called Chaosheng Yuji Dui. It was uh, acted oh. by Huang Hong and Song Dandan. Oh. Uh, yeah, they, they were the couple who had excess children and uh, they were dodging the government. Each city they go, they name their kid, excess kid, the name uh, of the city or the place the kid was born. It's really interesting. You should watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's the only thing. Thanks for thanks for throwing it in. Um okay. I've just remembered something I forgot to mention. I, I said oh. to Nikki there was two things uh, that you reminded me of. One was the the scout patrol and the extended language universe. Mm -hmm. The other was about uh hey hi. Uh this actually mm -hmm. came up in a tot mm, a very different story uh that we covered on the podcast a, a fiction story by Moyan. Um, mm. Radish is his English name. Chinese name is Pongluo Pongluo mm. Yep, yep. Uh, which is a short one. It's set in sort of I think it's like the fifties, so it's um, not so long after the revolution. We're somewhere in the countryside, and uh, there's a lot of I, I don't know if it's the Great Leap Forward, but it's that sort of time. Lots of works being done in the village, trying to modernize it, um, upgrade it. And there's a little boy who um, doesn't really fit in with all this rushing about. And in the translation, he's just called Hei Hai, all one word, H-E-I-H-A-I. And mm. um, the translator is Howard Goldblatt, uh, who's pretty famous in, in Chinese to English translation, and it's like the English translator for Moyan. And he obviously, well, what, is it obvious? I think it's obvious. He made a choice there not to translate Hey Hi as like black boy or something that included the word black. He just kept the pinyin, which seems like the right choice there. But I didn't really have any question. I just wanted to, in case any listener was screaming into their smartphone, I guess you've forgotten your past episode. Um, <laughs> just interesting recurring themes that pop up when you keep yeah. reading these things yeah so that was that was my little nugget i wanted to get out there before we go into the the misc section uh okay. nikki was there anything that you wanted to throw out there are we are we good uh, to march no, on no i'm good to march on okay great um so the next question it's the word of the day so we've got two guests so i'm hoping we can get two words of the day are there any uh chinese words we've not well or it could be one we've already mentioned but any Chinese words we either have or haven't mentioned already that you'd like to nominate and maybe talk a little bit about? Okay. Um, I recently learned a new word I would like to share with you too. Uh, I didn't even know this word in the past 35 years. I just learned this new word this year and it suits this book so well. I learned it from a friend she posted on her WeChat describing a beautiful summer. And when I read it, I was like, what? I don't even know this word. Oh, my God. So I, I checked online immediately. It's called mm. Wei Rei. Let me send it to you guys right now. Wei oh, Rei. Yeah. Wei Rei. Nikki, have you ever heard about Wei Rei? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> yeah. Tell me. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me send it to you guys right now. Wei Rei. Wei Rei. 
well, two quite complex characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wei Rei means uh, 草木旺盛 a lush of uh, the the plants. The 草木旺盛的意思 Yeah, Wei Rei. Right. So, like, lots of plants blooming in the springtime. Is that? Yeah, yeah, 草木旺盛的样子 and、uh, also in the ancient Chinese poems, it it appears, and、right. um the because she was describing the summer, uh 草木微蕊 uh the summer to describe the the scene everywhere is green, so I think they this word suits the book pretty well because I mentioned since I mentioned that we are like grass. I mean, the exasperate children were like grass plants, right, trees. Right.、Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I wanna. I hope all the excess children who managed, who survived, I mean, can be like the the summer trees and the plants flourish, or you know, yeah, more luxuriant, luxuriant. Yeah, luxuriant. My dictionary says luxuriant. Yeah,、I'm、burgeoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a new word a I learned.、Word. Yeah, what what is that word? Burgeoning. Burgeoning. It's a, it's a hard one to spell. I might spell it wrong. Yeah, weary. It's so beautiful. I even want to use this、yeah. for my for my pen name. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it, it means yeah. So I hope you know we can all.、Um, oh, Angus,、help. you spelled your spelling is horrible. Oh dear. <laughs> what?、No... Let me see. I mean, oh dear! I'll, I'll, I'll just throw myself out the window right now. <laughs> Actually, it's perfectly correct. Just got an extra B.、Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. that's a lovely word to characterize、yeah. the book and the community. Yeah, it means the 草木旺盛 It's so beautiful. I've I found some not exactly key words, but a, a key bit of text,、uh, which are the slogans, and then they're、uh, actually、mm. they're horrible. But I I hate to say it, I did have a lot of fun translating them. It's really quite fun translating slogans, like translating songs is also fun、uh, because you can really really play around with rhythm rhythms and rhymes. But、uh, in Shenyang, it's the slogans that the war slogans that you quote at the beginning、mm. during the strictest years of the one-child policy. There were these horrible,、um, vicious slogans written on the walls of all the of all the houses. You know, if if you have children illegally, we will legally demolish your house. And my my particular the one I was particularly proud of was give the snip to poverty. Coil yourself in money, which of course is a reference to to two main family planning methods:、um, yeah. giving, giving the snip to the man or the woman, and having a coil fitted. So, give the snip to poverty, coil yourself in money,、uh, and then there's some other.、Uh, they're pretty horrible to read, but.、Uh, Sometimes I just do have fun translating, <laughs> even if the language is quite horrible. Yeah, happy you had fun translating these. Yes, yeah, because because you can really let your language imagination go wild. Yeah, and Angus, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. I'm just a, just a bit of a brain fart there. So my my next question is. A little different from the usual format. So, in 
past episodes, I had been asking uh, guests if the story was a drink, what would it be? But I think that one has <laughs> been uh, drained dry, I, 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 so to speak. Um, it's it's starting to get repeat answers, and I think it it's a lot harder than it seems. So I thought I'd ask you to something a little different. I'd ask you if you could um, pair this story with any piece of music, what would it be? Or if, if it makes you think of a piece of music, what would that music be? Or if you were adapting this into a movie or a TV show, what music would you choose for the soundtrack? Something like that. Um, you're as free to answer as you like. Did either of you have any ideas about this one? Uh, Yang, do you want to go first? Yeah. I, I don't know if you guys know about Lin Hai. He's a very famous musician in China. He has these beautiful melodies called Pi Pa Yu. Very beautiful. Uh, I think I already typed it on, uh, on Zoom. Lin Hai, Pi Pa Yu. In Japan, they have, uh, yeah, Jiu Shi Rang, you know, the, the master who, Jiu Hisaishi. Did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, but in China, we have Lin Hai. He has this beautiful melody called pipa yu. And pipa is one of the ancient Chinese instrument. And it's so peaceful and mesmerizingly touching. And I mean, I just, I used to play this song for the whole day on and on. And it, 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 it's soothing and it calms me. I think maybe you can search it on online and on YouTube, you can also find it. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes uh, for listeners to find on YouTube. And I'm sure it'll be on all the Chinese music apps as well. And, and Nikki? No, I think you've, I, I can't top what you've done, what you've said, what you've suggested. I would no. love to hear your music. I have no special music of, okay. um, of my own to suggest. <laughs> okay. Uh, this one, Nikki, if you listen to it, when you are translating, it will help. <laughs> it's very oh, peaceful. lovely, it's very beautiful, <laughs> nostalgic. It's a lovely, it's a lovely idea to to pair a, a a novel and the translation of it with music. It's a lovely idea. <laughs> yeah, I actually have two songs that are springing into my head, and they wouldn't be here mm-hmm. uh, if we hadn't had the word of the day about sort of uh, way rate burgeoning uh, grass and greenery. There's Two songs, which I think are in sort of a dialogue with each other. So there's a musician called Julie Christmas, uh, who brought out an album in 2010 called The Bad Wife. And um, she's, a, she's a heavy metal musician. And some of the songs on the album are, are loud rock songs, but some of them are very sensitive, soulful ballads. And the second last track on the album is a cover of a, a country singer, uh, called Lily Nelson, and it's a very sad mm. song that she's covered in the same sad style. And then she has another one, which is um, kind of similar. It starts off sad and quiet, and then it become it sort of burgeons and blooms. And it's called "When Everything Is Green." And it's kind of I don't I don't really know what the feeling she's trying to get across is, but it has like the a bittersweet 
feeling that I also could see in more than one child. And like years later, I was listening to this musician, Tom Waits, who's got loads of albums. And it so happens he's got a song called All the World is Green. Wow. And if you look at the lyrics for the two songs, it seems like When Everything is Green is like her own spin on All the World is Green. The answer. Can you forgive me somehow? Maybe when our story's over, we'll go where it's always spring. The band is playing our song again. All the world is green. I would probably nominate both those songs as my own um, song of the the days for for the book. Continuing with the show. Um, yeah, so we're on to the, the final section now, further reading. So we already had some great recommendations of films and I think some books as well. But um, if, if there's right at the end here, if, if either of you would like to recommend a book for readers, it could be one, like if they like this book, then they'll like that book. Or it could be just one that you want more people to read in general. Um, did either of you have a book that you want to mention for the listeners? Um, I do. Thank you. I do. <laughs> we talked about yes. this before you came on <laughs> online. And it happens to be one that we both like. So if you like more than one child, you will love another story that I had great privilege. I was privileged to translate, published by one of the Random House group called Our Story, A Memoir of Love and, and Life in China by uh, Rao Ping Ru, who was uh, a gentleman who died at a great age in his mid-90s just last year. Uh, sadly, I, I never met him. But he wrote beautifully about his life, which almost spanned a whole century in China, and his love for his wife, and the rough times that they go through, and how he cares for her at the end. And it's not often that tears come to my eyes when I'm translating. But certainly, this moved me a lot. Every time I revised the last few pages, I found the tears coming to my eyes. But something that will readers will really enjoy um, is two things, actually. One is that he taught himself to paint so that he could commemorate his life with his uh, late wife in pictures, because all the photographs that they'd had were probably fairly few, and in any case had been destroyed during the Cultural Revolution. He recreated their whole life together in most beautiful, um, uh, brightly coloured uh, watercolours that he painted himself. And the other thing is that his descriptions of food are absolutely wonderful. There's food on every page. And I didn't need even to worry about quite how I translated this or that particular local dish because he'd drawn, painted a lovely picture of it um, to, go, to go with the text. So it's um, our story, a memoir of uh, love and life in China, 
by Raoping rule, also translated into uh, Italian and I think a number of other languages. Awesome. Um, and are you seconding that one, Yang? Are you, um, is your choice the same as Nikki's? No, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, since Nikki already mentioned our story, uh, I'm going to uh, recommend Leftover in China by Roxanne Lake, right. my friend who connected me with uh, Xin Ran. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, what she wrote is also literally related to one child policy. At the beginning of the book, it says 40 years ago, China enacted the only child policy, only recently relaxed, among many other and in Tended consequences. It resulted in both an enormous gender imbalance with a predicted 20 million more men than women of marriage age by 2020, and China's first generations of only daughters. Given the resources normally reserved for boys, these girls were pushed to study, excel in college, and succeed in careers as if they were sons. And these are they, when they grow up, they are all independent women. And uh, now, living in an economic powerhouse, enough of these wom- women have decided to postpone marriage or not marry at all uh, to spawn a label left over. And there's this part in the book, which I think you guys are going to love it that these men, this, there's this man who dis- disrespect women. Do you mind if I read this part? For it. We like our wives to be yogurts, said the 25-year, uh, 25-year-old Chinese investment banker sitting across me. Plain yogurts so that we can flavor them as we'd like. On paper, this man, a friend of a friend who had kindly offered to pr- provide his perspective on leftover woman, is a solid match for June. Like her, he's ambitious, well-educated, works in a prestigious field and speaks excellent English. When I sat down to talk with him at his office in the central business district of Beijing, I thought I might even play matchmaker and offer to introduce him to one of my accomplished female friends. As it turned out, however, he's surrounded by high-achieving single women at work while he enjoys their their company. He's not at all interested in marrying his educational or professional equal. Besides, he's already engaged. My fiance is a plain yogurt, he explained to me, just two days before his wedding. She's low maintenance and doesn't really have her own ideas. I like her because she's easy to, man- to manage. And then leaving me to question whether he was engaged to a human or a dairy cow, he left the office to board the high-speed train that could take him back to his hometown for his bachelor party. This is very shocking to me as he described woman as plain yogurt. <laughs> I, was, I want to spit on his face when I read that part, you know? <laughs> I wonder how often he does that, if that's his line yes. he uses every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know why they call leftover in China? Because those women are too excellent for those uh, those men to marry them. <laughs> That's why they were leftovers. So I think it's a really interesting book, and it's also one of the phenomena after the one-child policy, because you know, <laughs> because they had better education. Those one-child girls, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people who have, sorry, a lot of people from outside China who have an interest in the country may have heard the term leftover women, but they haven't had always had someone to join the dots for them between the connection between that phenomenon and the, mm. the cause at the start of the chain. 
the the one child policy. So it's a good point. Yeah, uh, I have a, a book recommendation too. Yeah, yeah. It's um not it's not a translated Chinese book. It's not about China at all, but it is a memoir uh, by uh, mm-hmm. a female writer, and it is about a rough childhood. Oh. and it, it's a this is going to be a callback to Stephen King because the reason I read this book was he um, recommends it in his own little semi-memoir on writing. He says, if you ever want to read just one of the best writers ever and a much better memoir than the one I'm writing, then you should read uh, The Liars Club mm. by Mary Carr. And I can't really remember all the, the details, but I think my elevator pitch for it would be, it's about her slightly crazy childhood. And it's a slightly crazy childhood because she had two slightly crazy, but very different parents so the parents are very present in our life, unlike in more than one child, but they're really vivid, sometimes difficult, often very interesting characters. And I think we can see that in some of the adults in more than one child as well. And another a good thing about um, The Liars Club is that it's uh, it's got a sequel. She wrote a book about being a young adult in the literary scene called uh, Lit. And I think, I don't, I don't know if you want to get this in, in the show, uh, Young, but you mentioned you're hoping to write a follow-up to More Than One Child. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah, actually, um, yeah. Uh, I, I think I wrote it also on my blog, on, in, on my own website, that I'm going to write a sequel. Also related to my husband, because uh, he's Italian and we have cultural difference. Not only that, he's only only one child, very spoiled. Right. I'm excess first Xiao Hei Hai, not spoiled at all, a British brat. So we have a lot going on in the past 10 years. And I think I will start from how, when we met because we met each other right after I graduated from college. And I never had a boyfriend. He was my first boyfriend. I was his first girlfriend. So a lot, a lot of stuff went on in the past 10 years. So I think I'm going to write a sequel. I hope Nikki can still be my translator. Oh, I'd be delighted. I would be honored. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And um, that actually leads yeah. really nicely into the next question because you mentioned your blog. Mm. Um, it's just mm. if listeners want to find out more about each of you and your work, uh, where would you send them? Uh, the best way is on my website. It's very easy. No capitalized uh, characters, shenyangyang.com. And uh, we want to use shenyang, but shenyang is occupied, all right? So shenyangyang.com. And there you can find uh, links to my Twitter, Instagram, and yeah, shenyang slash 1121. 1121, why? Because it's my lunar calendar birthday. <laughs> I was born on Jan- uh, January the 1st, 1986, but the lunar calendar, it's still 1985, November the 21st. So, yeah. Awesome. And uh, Nikki, where would you like to send the listeners? Uh, I would like to send them to paperrepublic.org, paper-republic.org, where I have my webpage. So if you go there and you look on the left-hand side and there's translators, you click on translators, look for me under Harmon, and all my work and everything I've been doing is there. I, um, I not only work with and for Paper Republic, but I also keep my webpage there. Awesome. And that's it. That's all. Um, is there anything thank else you. either of you would like to say before we bid farewell? I like to say thank you both, Angus <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and Nikkei. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And- thank you. <laughs> very good two hours. Really, yeah. really, it's really nice just to explore a topic in detail. 
Yeah. Thank you. I, I changed and, uh, the, sorry, go on. Sorry. No, no, you, you go first. I was, after going, you. I was going to say I've changed the show format slightly. I'm more busy now, so I don't want the shows to mm-hmm. go on for ages. So I cut, <laughs> I cut down the questions. I made sure all the questions go on one page, but that's nice in a way. It means we are not rushing through loads of questions. We can sort of meander a, a little bit. If there's less questions, mm-hmm. that's more time for the questions to breathe. So yeah, I'm glad that yeah. that turned out nicely. You did a very good job. Thank you, big boss. <laughs> and, thank yeah. you. and in the end, uh, I want to thank my husband, Gabriela Tempesta, because uh, he he was my assistant, social media manager. And, uh, and there's one thing he said about, uh, because he has been supporting me for the past uh, uh, almost 10 years. And uh, he said one thing, like other people invest in on, on uh, stocks or, or you know real estate, but I invest on potential writer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I hope there are more people invest on potential writers, because yeah. Virginia Woolf said you need a room to write, and of course also income. But I, you also, if you also have a very good husband, that's also that also helps. All right, we've come to the end of the show. That was, as always, a fantastic chat. It was great to have a three-way conversation there with an author and a translator. You know, those are always really fun. And what better pair could you ask for than Shen Yang and Nikki Harmon? That was that was a blast. And I'm not just saying that. So um, you probably know what's coming next if you're a long-time listener. It's the plugs. I'll, I'll just keep this one really simple. Oh, don't I always say that? So social media. Um, Instagram is a fun place to follow the show at Trichific, T-R-C-H-F-I-C, great place to talk to me or just see random things I happen to spot in stories. It can be quite fun too. Uh, Twitter, you know, what can I say? Um, that's another way to reach out to me. Sometimes I tweet stuff at Angus Likes Words. There is no show Twitter, it's just my one, Angus Likes Words. So that's that. We have a Discord you can join and chat with other listeners. Invite link is in the show notes. Um, I guess I'll plug the Trichific map. If you want to see all perhaps with some exceptions, all the um, story settings and authors HQ, shall we say, plotted on a map, then there's a link in the show notes where you can see my own little custom Google map that tracks exactly that. I think it's very cool. Now, supporting the show, um, best place to do that basically is Patreon. For one USD a month or more, you get bonus shows. I try to bring these out every week or every fortnight. Um, I am a little stuck (laughs) for new material to cover, um, but I guess I can watch a movie or read an article or read some short stories and then I'll be able to keep stuff queued up. But right now, certainly into early September, there's going to be an episode, I believe, every week and there's a back catalogue of like 60 plus. So support the show, get bonus episodes. Sign up to the Patreon. There you go. Marketing talk for you. Um, so the URL for that is uh, patreon.com slash churchific, but um, there is a support page on in the show notes that has Patreon and all the other ways you can support the show financially with lovely your lovely, lovely money. It's there in the show notes. So yeah, last thing of all, I haven't kept this very brief, unfortunately, um, but last thing of all is the uh, most important thing you can do for the show, which is spreading the word, telling people Tell your friends, tell your teachers, tell your brothers, tell your sisters if, if you're lucky enough to have some. And most importantly, tell your grandma as she gives you a date cake and keeps feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. And on that note, Sai Jian. Hello.